it's more like a bargaining chip with the United States. And if United States sort of um, uh, make some concessions, I guess Turkey is going to say uh, yes to uh, civilians membership. Recep Tayyip Erdogan was re-elected as president of Turkey for another term, putting him in position to hold power for 25 years. This unprecedented election victory cements his status as modern Turkey's preeminent leader, alongside and perhaps even surpassing Kemal Ataturk. But what does another Erdogan term actually mean in terms of domestic policy? What about Turkey's role in the region and indeed in global affairs, especially the conflict between Ukraine and Russia? To discuss this, we spoke to Professor Birol Bashkan and Dr. Jug King, who actually joined us live from Turkey. Please rate and review Uncommon Decency wherever you get your podcasts, and consider becoming a Patreon member, where you'll get early access and extended content. We hope you enjoy this episode. We are back for another episode covering Turkey, this time to recap the election that occurred just the other day, in which Recep Tayyip Erdogan was re-elected to another term as president of Turkey. Here to recap the results and what it means, not just for Turkey as a country, for its people, for its economy, but also for the region uh, and indeed the world, are Birol Baskan, who joined us for the first episode we did on President Erdogan, and Dr. Judd King, who I believe is calling in from Turkey right now. Thank you so much for joining us today. So I'll start off with you, Judd. Um, can you just walk us through the election campaign, you know, some of the defining issues, uh, and then the results that occurred on Sunday? Well, it's an interesting question. Um, talking about sort of issues in a Turkish election uh, over the last 20 years, broadly, uh, it, it, to an extent, um, Turkish politics is kind of more about identity than issues. A lot of the time, there are issues, obviously, but uh, a lot of people in this country, historically and through to the present day, kind of, I wouldn't say automatically exactly, but are basically, basically planning to vote for a certain party because that's kind of who they are. Um, and there are others that aren't. Um, Key sort of issues um, that were sort of on the table this time, of course, were the worsening economy with the sort of crazy inflation that's been going on, uh, and large number of Syrians, uh, as well as the earthquake, uh, all of which basically people thought would have uh, mitigated against Erdogan's uh, success, and despite all of which, he did seem to win. Beryl, any anything to add in terms of what you were seeing um, in the election? Yes, I mean, uh, definitely Erdogan uh, uh, skillfully uh, used two cards against his rival, Kılıçdaroğlu, uh, nationalist card, uh, accusing Kılıçdaroğlu primarily of uh, supporting the uh, Kurdish separatism uh, associated with uh, uh, the PKK, and here, of course, there are debates whether the political party, uh, which uh, announced that they are going to support Kılıçdaroğlu, is can be affiliated with PKK. That's another issue. But Erdogan at least uh, made that case to his support base, and his support base seems to have bought uh, his his argument. And the second card uh, that uh, he used, uh, rhetorically speaking, uh, religion. Uh, here, uh, if I have to uh, give a little bit of background, uh, Erdogan withdrew Turkey from uh, Istanbul Convention. 
which is a Council of Europe Convention on Preventing Violence against women and domestic violence. Uh, against this, uh, not that loudly, but religious groups, religious movements were objecting for a long time, and Erdogan withdrew Turkey from that convention. And Kılıçdaroğlu promised that convention is going to be restored. And uh, uh, this support of Kılıçdaroğlu is interpreted by Erdogan as being pro-LGBT and, of course, is being against family values, traditional uh, family values. So he used this kind of, he used, he mixed these two to rhetoric against Kılıçdaroğlu, and then it, it seemed uh, persuasive to his uh, support base. Uh, yes, uh, the, 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 the dominant theme throughout the, his electoral campaign was these two accusations. But yet, I guess uh, economy was not that uh, uh, terrible in Turkey to uh, lead voters to uh, forget the economic difficulties they are having with. What do I mean by this is that uh, Turkish economy is definitely beset by high inflation. Uh, every day the prices are rising and and, uh, and that is really hurting the ordinary, uh, ordinary people. Uh, but uh, the economy is still running. Uh, it is, so here Erdogan had to make a choice between high inflation and continuing economic expansion. So for the moment, he could manage that economy is not going to get into a recession. So unemployment is not going to rise, uh, and the economic uh, uh, economy went into a kind of a, a depression or, or that kind of catastrophe, economic catastrophe. So from the 1980s and 1990s, we know that the Turkish waters can survive in high inflation environment. Uh, and they don't really punish the government that much if inflation is high. But they punish severely if the unemployment rise up, rise up, and also economy just stop. And that, that was, I guess, Erdogan was kind of playing that, uh, that dilemma in favor of economic, uh, economic growth. His resistance to raising the interest rates, which, is, which has been you know, discussed a lot, the economists were, uh, were recommending that Turkey should raise the interest rate. He didn't. And then he resorted to a Quranic ban on interest rate. But he was much more motivated that if he raised the interest rate, the economy would stop, consumption would stop. And his whole economic miracle uh, is based on higher consumption and higher production. And he doesn't want to stop that. So here, the definitely identity, religion, nationalism, etc., played a major role in making him win. But at the, at the bottom of it, the economy was not that terrible for the voters to punish him. Chad, do you want to bounce in there? I think to an extent, yes, there's some degree of truth to that. I think, though, uh, Erdogan's initial sweep to power definitely came um, right uh, in the aftermath of some very dramatic inflation, where I believe there was a, a day where the currency lost about half of its value overnight, uh, not long before that election happened back in 2002. 
Um, so it, it can be an issue uh, sometimes, and everybody pretty much that I've talked to has pretty much agreed that this is very bad, um, especially since uh, this kind of inflation for several years, Erdogan had managed to sort of uh, forestall or even just sort of stop. Uh, the lira was pretty stabilized for about five years or so uh, under his sort of rule right, right around the time that they recentered it. Uh, it's gotten much worse since then. I think the sense I'm really getting from most conservative voters is not so much that they think the economy is okay uh, or that they're not hurting or even that they don't think it might be possible to do better with the economy. Some of them might say, okay, well, nobody could do better. But um, it's more that they see in Erdogan this sort of intangible quality of kind of gumption, I guess, uh, what everybody's been telling me is basically, well, who else would run the country the way he does, uh, is what it comes down to, which is not what people were saying, the same kinds of people were saying a year ago. A year ago, they were saying, I've had it with this guy. I want something else. He's driving the country into a rut. It was fine in the beginning, but now it's too much already. Let's get somebody else. It seems to me that the main sort of thing is that when they sort of sat down and thought about it, they just sort of said, I, we're never going to get somebody that maybe by kind of behaving a little crazily, you know, storming out of Davos or whatever, uh, when he feels like he's not getting his way. But he has really put Turkey on the map. He has gotten real independence for the country. Uh, foreign powers don't know which way we're going to go on a given issue anymore. People like that. They think, you know, he's a strong leader is what they keep saying. And um, I think when they sort of sat down to think about, can I really vote for somebody that's not him? And sort of knowing that they're not going to find somebody that's quite that, uh, I guess, energetic would be a nice way of putting it. Uh, crazy might be another way, you know, uh, but, you know, that much of a go-getter. They're not going to see that again. Um, they just sort of said, well, you know, yeah, maybe the economy isn't doing very well right now, but the sort of dignity that he's given to this country is a price we're willing to pay. We're willing to pay any price for that or almost any price. Um, so yes, I think along the margins, his sort of scare tactics were very important in getting certain smaller groups um, that aren't like his core constituency uh, to side with him. Um, and that was kind of a shooting fish in the barrel kind of thing, because once the uh, Kurdish uh, opposition parties were aligned against him, that's kind of like the very easy card to play. And uh, there are certain voters in this country that will automatically kind of vote against anybody that's aligned with them. Um, so yeah, um, I think the main thing for many of the voters that could have been swayed by the economy uh, and also his sort of continued basically uh, allowing for this many Syrians to be living in the country, which are very unpopular kind of across the board, uh, with most voters, uh, regardless of their political affiliation. It's basically that they see him as this irreplaceable sort of figure that once he's gone, Turkey goes back to being just another sort of mid-sized sort of power, not something where everybody in the world kind of knows the name of their leader. And I think that's something that at the end of the day, people just been sort of basically saying, that's why they voted for him. There's a, there's a note you've mentioned there in terms of the, the national pride component. And when you think about 
sort of other recent elections with the sort of nationalist conservative populists. Do you see the same elements in Erdogan and Turkey that we've seen, say, in Israel with Netanyahu or Hungary with uh, Viktor Orban? I'll start with you, Beryl. Well, I mean, uh, definitely. I mean, Erdogan... Uh likes to portray himself and his his, his support base uh, sees in his in, in in that way that in the way Jatri dis- described uh, very well uh, but again i want to uh, uh, reiterate my my point they are important uh, as long as economy is heating up but not doing terribly so if unemployment rate shot up to, let's say, uh, 20%. And if the economy uh, slowed down or contracted, let's say, 10%, that would be, those matters would not be in the minds of the voters, I guess. And and here, the uh, Erdogan uh, is, has an enormous incumbency advantage, of course, yeah. I mean, he he really distributed money uh, before the uh, before the before, before the elections. Uh, just three days before the election day, he just announced that he's going to ra- raise the lowest state employee wage by eighty five percent. So, which which is sort of uh, portrayed him as someone who is trying to keep up with the inflation uh, for the workers and for the for the state employees of course so my point is that uh, whatever his attractiveness to his his support base that attractiveness would be undermined by a more terrible economy not just inflation again turkish people are expert in dealing with uh, with with the inflation 1980s 1990s I mean, all high inflation rates, sometimes triple digit, and these are persistent uh, inflation. And Turkish Turkish people really managed that period okay. I mean, we don't see any street protests or or and and they didn't really punish the political parties responsible for that too until 2001. That's the year when Turkey implemented an IMF-backed economic package, which as a result of which there was a huge financial catastrophe and economy really, really contracted by, if, if I'm not misremembering, like 9% that year. Then the Turkish voters punished all the parties in the parliament and Erdogan benefited from that, uh, that, 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 that uh, very well. Uh, so uh, truly uh, his, his support base sees Erdogan as a world leader uh, as someone who put Turkey uh, uh, on the on the on the, on the world map and a skillful player and also uh, not only foreign foreign relations but also in terms of managing economy I guess uh, his support base might see him as the best uh, in terms of so, so let me put this way I mean the, the he might still be seen as better than his rival in managing economy. So here, the the a critique of of Kılıçdaroğlu's campaign, he raised a lot of economic problems. He discussed a lot of economic problems which are real, but the thing is that he could not provide a clear uh, uh, plan of how he is going to deal with inflation. 
So it was all uh, negative talking, but not constructive talking. So he didn't put out or lay out a plan of how he's going to deal with this problem. Uh, so in that regard, uh, his economic message to the, to the voters was not that persuasive either. So uh, truly, even uh, in this uh, economic situation, his support base might have seen Erdogan a better uh, uh, candidate in managing, managing uh, economy, uh, economy as well. Well, that's a really interesting point, uh, Birol, because um, back when I uh, was doing my dissertation research in uh, 2010, I was interviewing sort of core voters of uh, the sort of AK party. Um, and, you know, the party had already been around for a few years at that point. But when I asked people, why do you support Erdogan? as part of these interviews, uh, there were many reasons, but one of the most important ones is like, oh, I completely trust him to, you know, make the economy work. He's really great at handling the economy. He's gotten inflation under control. Uh, and that had been like a major sort of thing that was in uh, all sorts of like uh, campaign literature and stuff that they distributed, not just then, but in earlier elections as well, of things he was promising to do uh, in tandem with his sort of original um, campaign platform of getting the Turkey into the European Union, which of course has quietly fallen by the wayside in subsequent years. Um, now, I'm not hearing anybody at all say that. Um, it's possible that they might think that. Uh, you are correct that some of them might think that. And I think a lot of that kind of... Again, while there are some sort of voters, I'm sure, at the margins, really the impression one gets usually in a typical sort of Turkish election is that people kind of decide which side of the battle lines they're on first, and then they kind of treat the candidates accordingly, more so than just um, listening to what each of them have to say and then sort of making up their mind, which of course is not unique to Turkey in any way at all. I'm sure, sure people in America... Britain or other countries often do very much the same thing, but that seems to very much be the, the modus operandi here. And uh, what people are saying now, again, is uh, very much more in line with this, well, who else could it possibly be? I think the reason they're dismissive of Kalic Darolu, it might be because he doesn't really have a convincing uh, economic message. It could also be very much because they're just sort of dismissive of him in general as this sort of uninteresting bureaucrat that, you know, this basically moribund party is sort of drummed up out of nowhere, and he thinks he can hold a candle to the strongest leader Turkey has seen since Ataturk, ha ha ha, right, uh, is many of these people's attitude. Uh, so I don't even know if they're really listening to his message in the first place uh, in terms of the specifics of the economy. Um, and I think the uh, Erdogan's AK party knows this, and they are very much playing it up. The key slogan uh, for this election campaign was Doru Adam, uh, Doru Zaman, like um, the right man for the right time, basically, which is exactly what th these people are really thinking. So I, I think it is, um, it's, it's all of these sorts of things, yeah. I want to pivot away a little bit from the election and sort of look forward to, to government and the next Erdogan administration. Now, obviously, the central bank has been a topic at the tops of minds for global investors um, who are concerned about Erdogan's opposition to raising interest rates uh, to tackle inflation. 
typically speaking, when leaders stay in power for a long time, their circle tends to get smaller and smaller. Do you anticipate a change in direction in terms of the officials that Erdogan will surround himself with, or will it continue to be that close coterie of people, including his family members? Uh, Starting with you, Beryl. Well, uh, Erdogan, in terms of economic policy, has already given some signs that he's going to change his his policy. He's uh, uh, in in, in talk with Mehmet Şimşek, who is a well-respected economist, well-respected by the international financial community, then he is contemplating to put him in charge of economy. And uh, they are saying that Mehmet Şimşek might change some economic policies, which is going to be uh, contractionary. So rather than expanding the economy forever, uh, so in order to fight inflation, Mehmet Şimşek might introduce some budgetary disciplines. Uh, Well, Will Erdogan listen to Mehmet Şimşek? That's the question. And, uh, well, Erdogan is certainly facing a dilemma here. Uh, He might come to the conclusion that his expansionist economic and fiscal policy, monetary and fiscal policy, cannot be continued forever. At the end of the day, he must stop it because he's printing money, he's spending money, he's distributing money all over. Uh, But right now, he has to stop it so that economy is going to be much more healthier. So he might have come to that conclusion. We don't know yet. But he's giving signs of... Uh, such signs. But the problem is, and this is really unfortunate, uh, this is unfortunate because uh, of the Turkish economy. If Erdogan continues like this, uh, Turkish economy is going to be uh, much worse in the coming months and and, and years. Uh, It is unfortunate because next year we have municipal elections and Erdogan wants to definitely beat his two future rivals either Mansur Yavaş or Ekrem Yemimoğlu, who, who are mayors of Istanbul and, uh, sorry, mayors of Ankara and Istanbul, respectively. Uh, so he wants to win these two municipalities from the hands of these two individuals, definitely. And if he introduces some kind of uh, uh, painful economic uh, program at this stage, he might lose it. He might He might lose not only Istanbul, he, he already lost Istanbul and Ankara, he can never win Izmir, but also he might lose even more towns and cities, which is going to uh, raise some uh, questions about uh, his, uh, his, his, his leadership, even among his uh, support base, and maybe he might call for early election. If his party party support, like a vote base, drops below 35, definitely people are going to ask for early elections. Uh, so Erdogan is facing a dilemma here. And following him for like now 20 years, I guess uh, he's not going to take that, take that risk. I don't think that he's, he's going to take the risk of losing the municipal elections and letting his parties fall below 30%. Now it is 36%. So uh, my guess is that he is contemplating, but I don't see any uh, major dramatic change in his economic uh, policy. In other domestic issues, I guess 
political repression is going to deepen. Uh, polarization uh, will continue. And um, um, in that regard, I don't think that Turkey is has any uh, bright future when it comes to democracy, human rights, or rule of law. Yeah, so um, I, I think that's a pretty spot-on analysis, uh, economically speaking, that we're not sure, but it looks like it's probable that he might be signaling that he's going to be changing things up a bit. Uh, for the other domestic issues, um, the AK Party is very likely to continue, I would say, uh, along the path it's been on for the last, what, eight years now or so? Um, which is roughly continuing with its successful formula because um, in a lot of ways, and this is something I've sort of heard from a variety of people that work in the party itself, they were really dreading this election because it was the nightmare scenario for them. The economy is horrible. There are tons of Syrians that kind of everybody in the country wishes were not here. Um, And the... um, president basically hasn't been able to do anything about either of those. And that was kind of stuff they were worried about before the earthquake happened and there was all the criticism about that. Uh, And as things happened, um, there have been, of course, some questions as to the uh, fairness of the election, but uh, most analysts say that voters did have a real choice here and Erdogan managed to win not by an enormous margin, but comfortably. Um, And that's something that I think might actually mitigate against any um, sort of analysis that would say uh, repression of sorts is likely to increase in the sense that uh, Erdogan, I think, consistently um, basically, uh, sorry, let me just backtrack a bit there. I started that sentence wrong. Basically, there's not much of an incentive for him to make things more uh, oppressive uh, because why do that when you don't need to? Uh, This hasn't really been Erdogan's style um, of um, sort of what his critics have said is basically tipping the scales in his favor. Usually the way he tends to do that when he does Uh, is with things that are a little more subtle and a little bit here, a little bit there, rather than a, you know, giant sort of thing of, okay, no more political parties but mine. He's never done that. Um, Which isn't to say that there haven't been, like, serious things that have happened, but his preference is generally to be as subtle with it uh, and keep as much, you know, actual democracy in the country as possible while still winning. This would be an indication that likely, I think, uh, he's going to continue that. Um, and, uh, you know, if he made it through this election, chances would probably be that he could make it through the next one as well, assuming the country gets somewhat better. Um, but of course, you know, it's impossible to predict this stuff with 100% certainty. Uh, what he is likely to do uh, is continue with his winning formula, which is to gradually improve infrastructure and, uh, you know, sort of everyday life for ordinary citizens, which is something that, that's one of the uh, main things people have said, you know, kind of consistently is something that they really um, support about him and like about him. 
And then secondly, uh, to help uh, find sort of cultural wedge issues. This has been a real hallmark of his last eight or so years in power. Uh, initially, it was more sort of focused on improving human rights uh, in his early years um, with things like, you know, reversing the ban on headscarves in universities. That was kind of his signature issue. He took his sweet time getting that done, partly because uh, he could continue milking that as a political cow but also because it was dangerous to do so because the Constitution um, forbid anyone at the time from messing with any of the sort of secular characters of the state. And that was something that was off the table. So basically, uh, after that issue finally was put to rest uh, and the Gezi protests erupted, which made him sort of a little unsure about how long he would stay in power, his strategy has kind of shifted to finding cultural wedge issues that his base, which is not necessarily at all um, Islamist in the sense that they're looking to impose Sharia on anyone uh, or have any interest in that necessarily. Uh, there are some of them that want more visible Islam in politics. Um, that's certainly true. Uh, and, uh, that's still not a majority of his voters. Most of them are just people that are sort of conservative voters that are religion friendly, but not necessarily politically driven by that. But what he finds are these wedge issues where people that broadly identify as strong Muslims, conservative Muslims, whether that, that becomes a political agenda with them or not, will be outraged by this or that thing and people on the other side of the political spectrum won't feel the same way. And he sort of uses that to his advantage. A, uh, one example of this might be um, the LGBT issue, which hasn't really emerged because the opposition is making a very big deal about you know, gay rights or something as like a centerpiece of their campaign at all. Uh, it's more just something that he saw he can use uh, to sort of say, well, if it's not me, it's these you know LGBT people. Is that what you want? And he can be pretty confident that most of his base will probably say no. Uh, sometimes where there isn't really an issue, he's sort of helped to create one, such as transforming Hagia Sophia back into a mosque. Uh, that wasn't really something that that many people were demanding until he started talking about it, and then people started demanding it. And then he delivered it, and now it's thrown on the pile of reasons people support him. Uh, he tried to do a similar thing with abortion, uh, which wasn't really a controversial issue in the country, and then he started talking about it. Uh, it didn't really stick as much as some of the others, but he's almost certain to try to find more issues like that moving forward uh, and hammer them home because that's sort of red meat for the base. We're going to pivot away from the domestic side and start to look at foreign policy. And the, I guess, the most frequent question that is asked about this upcoming Erdogan term is will and when will Turkey accept Sweden's accession into NATO and what will be the trade-off or will it sort of be a, a straight acceptance? So I'll start with you, Birol. What are your thoughts on what's next for Sweden's uh, membership bid for NATO and its relationship with Turkey? Well, uh, the Turkish side is uh, 
is 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 explicit uh, on that but i don't think that explicit in terms of its demand from sweden but i don't think that uh, it is sincerely expecting sweden to do something about it uh, so rejecting sweden's membership in the nato is more like a bargaining with the united states not with sweden and uh, there are some problems with between turkey and, and the united uh, states and uh, uh, one of which uh, is about uh, f-16s uh, uh, air fighters uh, and turkey was part of f-35 production and it was expelled from that uh, because of some s-400 purchase from russia uh, so uh, so honestly, it's difficult to predict how these bargainings will 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 go on. But it's obvious to me that uh, if United States um, make some concessions in terms of, uh, let's say, F-16s or F-35 in whatever precise and explicit demands Turkey is making, I guess Turkey is going to say yes. Uh, it's not like a principled categorical rejection of civilians. Uh, membership it's more like a bargaining chip with the united states and if united states sort of um, uh, make some concessions i guess turkey is going to say uh, yes to uh, civilians membership yes uh, i think that uh, it is definitely used as a bargaining chip there's no question about that having said that uh, this is kind of an issue of um individuals like associated with the sort of Kurdish nationalist cause uh, operating out of Sweden, um, including some that have been like widely accused of supporting the PKK, uh, which are apart from Kurdish nationalists, pretty much the entire rest of the country views them as terrorists, uh, is something that uh, has been an ongoing issue for many years. In fact, uh, when uh, back in the early 2000s, uh, Erdogan was trying to get uh, Turkey into the European Union. This was something that his critics sort of seized on as, really, you want to join with these people while they're harboring these terrorists, uh, just so you can you know, be this partner for America. When they were criticizing him as being sort of too pro-Western, too pro-American, uh, that was the nationalist sort of critique of him. Uh, and now that the, those same nationalists, uh, who unsurprisingly are kind of the voters he was courting this election, uh, as the people that will automatically support him as long as he's hard enough against the PKK and can convince them that the opposition is in bed with them because the uh, sort of Kurdish nationalist party is uh, siding with them, uh, he kind of needs that support. So I think that I wouldn't necessarily say that being seen to make progress on this issue doesn't benefit Erdogan in and of itself. Whether that means that he would accept something short of actually making progress on the issue uh, in that regard is another question. I do think that he's getting a lot, though, out of this. There were definitely voters that were telling me that this was something they were particularly proud of, that he, rather than just rolling over and saying, sure thing, boss, when the European Union came in and said, hey, these people, uh, sorry, not the European Union, NATO, said, hey, these people in Sweden are going to be our new members, uh, signed the paper. Uh, you know, rather than just sort of saying yes, he sort of stood up to them and uh, he won a lot of points with that uh, among a lot of people uh, by saying, well, no, uh, we're getting what we want first. 
And he's in a position to do that, frankly. So I don't know why he wouldn't. I would actually say that this is probably an instance where Western countries would want to play this a little carefully just because uh, he is in a position now where his basic policy throughout this Ukrainian conflict has been to keep Moscow and Washington kind of uh, at equally at arm's length, which makes sense given Turkey's sort of economic relations with both, uh, you know, um, Europe and the West, where so many of their exports go, and uh, Russia, which supplies so much of their energy. Uh, I mean, there's more to it than that, but. Uh, Basically, uh, I think pushing too hard, too publicly and in the wrong way could sort of push Turkey potentially uh, further than uh, Erdogan is currently intending it to go uh, into the Russian camp. Uh, Although what exactly his intentions are will, I guess, be seen uh, as this plays out. There's a couple of specific threads that we could go to, but let's obviously go to um, the biggest and perhaps most important one, which is, of course, the war in Ukraine and Turkey's sort of playing both sides role, both through arms supplies to Ukraine, through maintaining a relationship with Russia and, of course, sort of brokering the grain deal. Do you think that now with the election behind him, Erdogan will look to play uh, a greater peacekeeper role in or peacemaking role in the Ukrainian conflicts, uh, Bureau? Uh, yes, definitely. I don't see, though, any major change in Turkey's approach to uh, to Russian-Ukraine uh, conflict. Uh, Turkey is definitely sort of benefited from it. Uh, uh, there are a lot of Ukrainians, Russians here. Uh, in Turkey, uh, if you go to any cafe in Ankara or in Istanbul, <laughs> you will see them in numbers, uh, and they brought they brought money uh, to Turkish uh, Turkey. Uh, so uh, Turkey benefited from it, uh, uh, but of course, uh, and also Erdogan geopolitically benefited because he made sure that this uh, grain corridor from Ukraine is. Uh, is still functioning thanks to Erdogan's intervention, uh, but of course uh, he would also be uh, like to be seen as someone who is a peacemaker. Uh, but does he have that leverage with Putin? Uh, I am not sure. I don't know. Uh, but I don't think that. What I mean, what I want to say is that he did everything in his power to broker a peace. I don't know what else he can do after this. Uh, uh, and of course, keep in mind uh, some of the gains he already made. Uh, but I don't see any major change in Erdogan's approach to, to the conflict. Judd, what about you? Do you think there's a, a peacemaking role or a, a deal broker role for Erdogan in the Russo Ukrainian war? He certainly seems to think so. And he's been sort of playing that up the whole time. I honestly don't think the election is likely to affect that one way or the other. And Candidly, I am not really that convinced that if the election had gone the other way, somehow that Turkey would be in a very different position. Yes, it might perhaps feel a little more ideologically close to the West uh, had the opposition won. However, even having said that, uh, there's still the fact that, you know, the uh, energy supply is kind of coming from Russia and they are dependent on the Russians in a large way. 
for part of their economy, just as they're also dependent on the West. And with the economy in such a very sensitive position at the moment and ordinary people really suffering, uh, perhaps not at the, quite a critical sort of juncture, but almost, uh, that would just be a very bad move for any leader to just say, okay, I'm completely siding with one side or the other, because both sides are candidly in a position where if they really wanted to, they could make life very unpleasant here. And uh, I don't think Erdogan or you know, Kalich Darul, if he had one, would really want to see that play out unfavorably. And uh, so, yeah, playing this role of mediator is exactly the role that I think uh, he would like to play um, moving forward. Thank you both for joining me today for this election recap special. Uh, Uncommon Decency will be back next week um, with more episodes. We'll be closing out the season at the end of the month. So if there is a topic you would like us to cover that we have not covered at this point, do get in touch with us uh, either via our Twitter or via our email, and we will get that into one of our deep dive episodes. Judd, thank you so much for dialing in from Turkey. Beryl, thank you again for joining us. Thank you very much. And we'll be back next week with more Uncommon Decency. 